All right, welcome to Talk Jiu Jitsu with host Ugi Mike, Joy Bresky, and me, Jordan Pressinger from Jordan Teaches Jiu Jitsu. We have a great episode for you guys today, and we're going to start out talking about uh, something that I saw on YouTube, which was uh, John Danahar. <laughs> I was I. You always tell me I pronounce it wrong. I don't know. Danahar, Danaher, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I pronounce everything wrong. Uh, (laughs) and people tell me to, but, uh, not to get into that, but, uh, no, he, he broke someone's arm in training because basically they, they were kind of stacking him on his neck. Like they had him in a front headlock and he was like sitting up, which definitely is painful. Like, uh, I've had people do that to me too. And I've, I've had people do a lot of painful things to me, but I've never broken someone's arm as retaliation. So I guess, yeah, after he got out of that, um, you know, stack that like neck crank, he th- threw up an arm bar, like a side arm bar, which is one of my favorite arm bars. And like, I don't know what to call it. I call it a side arm bar where you go to the side and attack. It, it looks like an Americana, but it's not because it's more like attacking the elbow. But yeah, he broke it and then kind of just uh, did a back roll and walked <laughs> into the office apparently. So um, there, and there's been a lot more like stories about uh, Danaher, Danahar uh, doing stuff like that in training. And I, people are saying, and you know, I can see it, I can see the change, which is like people respected him more and liked him more, but the more they learn about him, the more they're kind of changing their opinion. And yeah, you know, I would never break someone's arm. What, what are your guys' thoughts? Is there ever a time where you can injure someone else because they did something to you? Uh, John, take this one. No, um, <laughs> that's so ridiculous to me. I mean, I I don't understand being like, oh yeah, this guy stacked me, so now I'm just gonna break his arm in half. Like, what? If you don't like being stacked, just be like, hey man, can you not do that? Like. If you got a bad neck, just be like, hey, I got a bad neck. Could you please not do the thing you're doing? You don't have to be like, oh, I'll just escape this and then like irreparably destroy this man's arm. Yeah, I've had I've had uh, things when people crank at something, uh, submission really hard, and I just tap or, or yell and then say something to them afterwards. I didn't grab a hold of their ankle and snap it next time we rolled. I didn't retaliate that way, but I think talking to them is probably a, a safer route to go. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm like, I got something in my throat. <clears> throat> sorry. No, I totally agree. Oh, sorry, you guys got to talk for a second. <clears throat> I did have uh, one, not, I did have a situation like that where a guy was uh, doing a calf slicer and he pulled it really fast. And uh, I just kind of yelped and said, Hey, man, like, what are you doing? Go a little slower. And, but I didn't uh, like grab his ankle. Like I said, I didn't roll him next time with the intent to break something. We just had to talk, shook hands afterwards, and we were just, you know, met like good guys about it. Yeah. I mean, we talk all the time about like communication being like the way to solve things. And I think it was that easy. You could have said like, <clears throat> like that, you know, that hurts my neck. <laughs> Sorry. What the heck is wrong, going wrong uh, with my throat? There's it's cause I, <clears throat> it's cause I have like powdered stuff in my coffee and it's like, uh, I don't know. It's like drying it out. But, um, yeah, if that's all you have to do is like talk to him and not to go, not to defend him, but that side arm bar is a hard one to do, um, slowly without, without giving them ability to escape. Not that like it justifies it at all, but, um, yeah, like that's the last time I, I injured someone was with one of those side, side arm bars. Like, I had him in one, I was going slow, slow and he wasn't tapping and I, I could put like more and more pressure on. Oh my God, this is so frustrating, <clears throat> but I was putting more and more pressure on and then, um, yeah, it didn't snap, snap, but it definitely, uh, it definitely hurt him. So I felt really bad about that, but I went slow. I didn't like intentionally try to hurt him. And, um, yeah, but yeah, I guess he does that a lot. And like Eddie Cummings too, I heard like stories about him, uh, in the training room 
like breaking people's knees and just just in training, just going crazy. But I've also heard good stuff about him. Like, um, so maybe it just depends on like the day if you wanted to like cripple someone or not. But uh, yeah, you can never do that. You know, there's never a time where it's okay to retaliate with uh, injuring someone. And just in general, it's just better not to retaliate at all. Like, if someone does something to you don't like, you can tell them, or you can go harder, but not like crazy. You don't need to hurt people. It's just like sparring in Muay Thai. Like, like um, it can get like more heated and heated until like you're just trying to knock each other out and that's never a good idea. So I always just try to um, communicate with people that start going hard like that. I always hear of stories like this from back in the day, people always say, so it's obviously become more civilized over the years. Like you guys even had stories from when you first started, it was more hard, like not more hardcore, but you know what I mean? You used to say it was pretty rough. Yeah. We're used to train, right? <clears throat> well, yeah, I, I, I think part of it's like the old school mentality, which was maybe why Danahar's uh, maybe he does stuff like that because like maybe he came up with that where it was like, you know, whatever you just hurt people if they piss you off, piss you off. But that's definitely, uh, that's not okay ever. And no. um, yeah, I don't know why he would do that. it's crazy to me. I mean, you're right though. Like with, you know, him getting more, I'll say famous, like in niche quotes, like within the jujitsu community, getting more famous. And you hear these old stories come out. seems like the guy may be uh, a little bit of an odd fella, like clearly has a brilliant mind for jujitsu, but outside of that might be a little bit of a strange guy. I mean, some of the stories that have come out, he's done some weird things or he just like, maybe this is like on brand for him. Maybe he's just a guy who like, if you upset him, he'll take it out on you. We also don't know the full circumstance, right? Like these guys could have been saying st saying stuff. There could have been words beforehand. There could have been uh, an altercation. Who knows, right? We're just going yeah. by one little story. But. but even then, even then, it's like, you know, don't do that. Don't, yeah. don't go too crazy. I mean, he wears rash guards 24-7. It's kind of, you know, it's definitely it's a strange thing to do. And um, stuff like that, though, like can't really be excused for the quirkiness of like, oh, yeah, he's just a weird guy. You know, he just broke someone's arms. Like, yeah. Ha, ha, ha. You know, like, no, like don't break people's arms. Don't ever hurt people. And uh, one thing that I think is cool, well, not cool, interesting, I saw on Facebook is um, someone asked, like, why don't red belts compete? Like, why don't uh, coral belts compete? Like, they're so knowledgeable. Um, shouldn't they just go in and wreck everyone? And uh, it's just funny that people don't really understand how things actually kind of work. It's like, first off, if you're a coral belt, you're probably really old. And yeah. um, because how, how long does it take to actually get your coral belt? Um, you know, Joey? I want to say it's, it's over like 35, it's well over 30 something years. So I think the earliest you can get it is like early sixties. Yeah, exactly. So, and yeah, yeah, that's a long time. And like just all like the degrees are in a coral belt is just timestamps on how long you've been a black yeah. belt and how long you've been a black belt doesn't always translate to, you know, insane amount of knowledge that, you know, more than you had when you were just like a one, like a one degree black belt or a no degree black belt. It's just timestamps. So it's up to the individual during that time to actually acquire, you know, more and more skills. And even then, like, you can be the most skillful, skillful person, but if you're like 60 something years old going against, uh, you know, black belt competitors that are adults, like it's just, it's just reality jujitsu. You know, you're not, you're not going to have a lot of success. So yeah, that, that was kind of funny. I think a lot of people think that there's grading past black belt, but generally there is not. It's, it is all time in, correct? Yeah, it's all time in 100%. You just after three years, you get one degree after another three years after that, you get another degree, then it's five and then seven and stuff like that. So 
it takes forever, but I don't see someone's degrees on their belt and think, Oh my, that's got, that's gotta be a really good black belt. Like they could be, you know, they could be, but a black belt's probably the belt that, um, that you don't know where you're going to get before you start the role. Like they could be good. They could be bad. It has nothing to do with the degrees on their belts. But sometimes people just have like, um, I don't know, kind of put these black belts and coral belts up on like this pedestal. Like, and they were like, you know, magic and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's good to respect, um, them for sure, but also understand, uh, just reality of jujitsu and the situation. And, uh, yeah, not, to feed into that too much of like hero type worship and like, oh yeah, they're oh, amazing. Oh my God. You know? Well, I, I did watch a video. Sorry, Joe, I don't mean to cut you off. I did watch a video of, uh, two red belts in a tournament and it was the most uh, boring video I've ever watched and no offense to the, to the fellows that did it or if, if their students are watching, but it was t- like, I couldn't watch it. It was like watching, I, I don't know, turtles roll. It was terrible. They were both like in their seventies and you know, nobody wanted to hurt the other person. It was just boring as shit. Yeah. And it's great for them to go out there and compete. Exactly. I'm not taking no, anything yeah, away sure. from them. It's great for them to do that. But in terms of like spectator, like, am well, I interested in watching it? No. Uh, probably no more so than any other match, which is not very much because most of Jiu-Jitsu is war- boring to watch in reality. Like I try to watch, like, uh, you know, keep up with like, you know, the stars in Jiu-Jitsu, like Joseph Chen is really popular. You know, I try to watch some of those matches and see, um, you know, what he's up to and what the other competitors are up to. And I just don't find myself super interested, you know, not that, um, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. It's just not uh, super interesting to me. But one thing I think is really cool watching Joseph Chen and those who don't know who he is, he's like a up and coming, I think he's a brown belt. B team. Yeah. He's a yeah. B team, but he also lives in Taiwan, I think too, or no, uh, somewhere in China. I don't know. I, I always hate speaking about things. I don't really know hundred percent, but he spends half his time in Asia. I'm pretty sure than half his time at B team. And yeah, he's definitely really good. And his passing style is like exactly what I've been doing for the last like little, little while, which is like use, like using a low posture headquarters, always trying to get underhooks and stuff like that, like it grips from, um, from that position using his head a lot. And, uh, so it's cool to see. And obviously he didn't copy me or anything. I'm not saying that whatsoever. I th- what it's saying is it's cool that, um, what I'm finding very effective and useful, um, lately last couple yeah, probably like last year or so that's also what, what he's also finding effective uh for him right now and he's having a lot of success and uh yeah he's like the next like superstar i think he's only training like five years and uh yeah he's he's gonna be like adcc champion according to what, what most people believe and yeah, i'm sure it's gonna happen he's pretty good i mean that's yeah, like that- in a way it's like a validation you know not that saying like obviously you're very talented and you can figure out what works and doesn't work. But when you start doing someone and then you see people at a high level, having a lot of competition success, start employing the same strategies. It's like a a validation saying like, okay, yes, this does work. Uh, It's not just working for me because maybe I outskill the people in my gym. It's working on a high level for really good guys who do this for a living competitively. So clearly I'm on to something. It has to be working. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that's the way I view it. It was kind of, it was kind of, um, I was the word like reinforcing of like, okay, yeah. Like it's, it's just cool to see that because, you know, there's a lot of different ways to pass the guard and you see things like, uh, what the Bertolas are doing, which is a lot of like stepping on people's like legs. I don't know what they call it. You know what that's called? I don't know what it's called. I do it all the time now and it really does work. Yeah. See, it's funny because I actually watched like an hour's worth of their instructional about that. 
And then I tried to implement it and I was terrible at it, which like, well, not terrible at it. I just couldn't get it. Like I couldn't make it the path of least resistance for me. I was finding it hard to really uh, utilize it. And obviously it's a great uh, way to pass for them and I'm sure others, but I was surprised I didn't have success because like, I'm very good with using my feet, like, especially as grips. So I thought like, Oh, this is like the perfect thing. I'm going to try this, but uh, yeah, no, it didn't work great for me, but yeah, I'm sure it works great for others, but yeah, you know, like it's also good to like, not always be worried about following trends, like what everyone else is doing. And instead like, do what works best for you. Like what style is working best for you? Cause if, cause for a while, so many people are body lock passing and I think body lock passing is great for sure. But then maybe that's not the best style for someone. And they kind of trick themselves into thinking that that's what they really need to work on because it's so, it was so popular in that moment, but there's other great things. And same thing with, with leg, leg locks. They're not as, you know, they're still popular, still used, but they were kind of a trend before they came, became more of just like a part of the game. So yeah, it's best not to chase trends and figure out what works best for you. Well, yeah, on that, uh, on that topic too, I think something that's really interesting that a lot of people, especially competitors, uh, make the mistake of is, like you said, chasing the trend. And there's a couple of reasons I think it's a really big mistake is, um, especially in Noki, where you have basically two year cycles between ADCC events. If something becomes really popular at, let's say, like leg locks became really popular at ADCC, I think it was 2019 was the one where they really burst onto the scene and there were a lot of wins. Um, a lot of gyms across the world really started going all in on leg locks. Like we are going to learn how to be as good as these guys at it. We're going to get fantastic. The problem is the gyms that were already doing them and set the trend have now moved on to the next thing. So for those two years until the next event, yeah, sure. You caught up that leg lock gap, but now they've spent two years innovating something new. So when you're chasing, like, what are the best guys good at? That's what I'm going to try and get good at. You're always going to be behind the curve. You will never be the person who has the new tools that people aren't sure how to deal with. Like when the DDS first came out with their whole leg lock system, people really didn't know how to deal with it. And they were winning a lot because of it. But all these gyms started trying to catch up. They innovated their whole new like back taking body lock passing systems. They're so far ahead because everyone else is trying to catch up. I think the real approach for competitors should be looking at the game right now, preferably with a good analytical coach and going, okay, what's the next frontier? What's the next thing we can try and innovate instead of playing the what's everyone good at right now? I need to catch up to them in that. Like yeah. try to get ahead. Don't try and catch up because if you try and catch up, you will never get ahead of them. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. And it's kind of similar to like people used to ask me when I was fighting MMA, um, like if I have like a game plan and I never had a game plan because I don't want to, uh, you know, worry about what they do good. I just want to be good at what I do and enforce my will enforce my game and not, you know, not dictate it based off that, but it can be good to game plan against certain people, um, depending on their style and stuff like that. But at the same time, <clears throat> you, you should be confident in yourself and what you do. And yeah, that was pretty, um, interesting that like last night, someone asked me a uh, brown belts. They said like, well, you know, why don't you attack the legs more? And people, people often ask that on YouTube, like you, you don't do leg locks. And, but like, I do do leg locks and I'm, I'm pretty good at leg locks for sure. But like, 
I jokingly said to him um, that like, it's the path of least, it's not the path of least resistance for me. Like attacking everything else is path is path of least resistance and leg locks are path of least resistance for people that suck at the rest of it. But I was joking and I'm, I'm joking to everyone. So don't think I'm like super cocky, but like, I think that can be the truth of like some people, they specialize so much in leg locks that they're not great at the rest of the game. So like, yeah, it makes sense that they're attacking leg locks constantly because that's the path of least resistance for them. But it's like, I think it's better to have it as a tool in your toolkit rather than like being like, oh, this is like the only thing I'm focusing on. And I think that does them like a disservice because if they go against someone that's, um, you know, good at leg locks too, um, then it might be a bit of a stalemate. And then whoever's better at the rest of it could have had that advantage, but you know, they're kind of equal in that regard too. So yeah, I think it's like never good to put all your eggs in one basket. And yeah, leg locks are becoming so popular. Well, they have became so popular, but there's other aspects to the game as well. Well, that's what Gordon Ryan was saying about um, Craig Jones. That Yeah, his leg lock game was solid, but once he started training with them, once he got past his legs, he didn't have really much of anything for anything else. He really had to relearn basically jujitsu after that. That's what Gordon Ryan was saying anyways. Yeah, exactly. And like in my roles, there's probably, probably like every like three or four roles, no, probably four or five. I do a leg lock, but then in the gym, I do like probably at least like at least one every role or every other role. So like, you know, when I do these roles on YouTube, I try to like really, um, you know, perform, get a lot of submissions and really make sure I look smooth and not, you know, try to lose things. But then in rolling, then it's like, I just do what I want. And like, if I don't want to go path least resistance, I'd rather just like, you know, to go for a variety of submissions, then th that's kind of more fun too. And so actually I was talking to my daughter. Um, she's like really good at Americanas. Like she, she gets them all the time. And I was telling her like, that's great. You've got a great Americana, but um, you know, against like people that are, uh, you know, worse than her, I guess, that are kind of easier, like don't do Americanas on them. Like try out other things and get, get better at them. But the people that you're, um, you know, they're more e even in, in skill. Um, you can keep doing Americanas on them because that's like still developing your A game. But then like, why use your A game against people that you could just explore your B and C game on? Yeah. I mean, every training partner, uh, this is going to sound rude and I don't mean it like this, but like every training partner has a use and a function. Uh, for you and for them with you too, like you have the same function back towards them. If, if I'm training with someone like you, Jordan, like when we roll, I'm going to use my A game because if I don't, I'm going to get smashed. So I've got to use my A game and that's my chance to see like, okay, does my A game work on someone who is, you know, also very, very skilled using their A game. And then that's where you get to develop those skills. But when I roll with like, say a white belt, like you're I get nothing by practicing my A game. I know it works on them. I know it for a fact. And all it's going to do is discourage them by them going, well, this doesn't work at all. I'll take my, honestly, not even like a B or C game. I probably take the things I'm absolutely worst at in jujitsu. That's what we're going to do today. And that's what I'm going to try and get better at. And that's the only way to actually improve it. Because if you just try to work on things with people of an equal skill, you will never get better at them because it will get shut down. Yeah, and that's a question we had from someone um, on Instagram want us to talk about this last week, but we didn't get to it, which is basically, uh, again, Danaher said that, um, or Danaher, that it's better, that a lot of your training should be with people that are worse than you to be able to improve. And that's, that's true. But I think that some people don't really quite realize you don't want them to be like way worse than you. Like you want them to be worse, but like 
it, you know, I'm not going to gain a lot from like rolling with like a brand new white belt. I'm not going to be able to like, you know, try new things and really, um, and really build, I don't know, confidence and skills doing those things, but like against like a blue or purple belt, that's pretty good. Yeah, and then I can start doing like the more like, you know, niche type of stuff and kind of messing around more. So it can be very valuable to train people that are worse than you. Um, it is very valuable, but if they're too, you want them like not too, too, too much worse, ideally, like, mm-hmm. yeah. What do you guys think about that? You want them to give up some sort of resistance or some sort of uh, like, like what a, would be 75% of my game or something like that. So I, I could practice with some sort of live resistance. Yeah, for sure. If I did it against just a brand new white belt, it'd just be me mauling them. Yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't even be fit, like practice. Well, I've tried to do like, cause I do these like white belt mistake videos sometimes for YouTube and some people I filmed with, I'm not talking shit or saying anything negative, but like the role just doesn't turn out great or interesting because it's like too easy. You know, it just, I'm not like, there's not enough moments to really teach because it's just me being first and, uh, and doing everything right. As opposed to them, you know, they're just not giving enough like resistance to be able to, to like, um, give like teaching moments and yeah, nothing wrong with, you know, brand new white belts and stuff like that. But, um, there, there, it's a tough one because it's, they're not like, you know, amazing tools for people that are, um, super skilled, but they're also, not always the best for people that are lower skilled to train with either because they have more potential for injury. So it's a tough spot to be in as a, as a brand new white belt, but, uh, you know, still roll with them and, you know, have a good time. But, uh, in terms of my skill development, it's not going to be huge for me. Um, but it can definitely be good for like blue belts and whatnot. And, uh, like, especially lower level ones to, to experience that. Cause sometimes too, like brand new white belts, they create a different type of challenge almost where they're, so unpredictable and uh you don't know what they're trying to do yeah. when so it's like the movements like because if you can when you're rolling often you can kind of predict what someone's going to do and then attack based off that but then if it's a brand new white belt sometimes it's like they don't move the way you're, you're expecting them to right so it can be really tough that way actually something that's um to bridge into this is um I watched Tyler Spangler's new video, which was a fake black belt prank where he had his brother who's never trained before um, to put on his black belt and pretend to be a black belt. And he didn't do terrible. <laughs> like He didn't do terrible, but um, I think it's because, well, it is because I think people gave him too much respect. They were like, this is a black belt. I need, I can't go like, you know, too hard. I need to like respect him um, in, in like the rolling sense of it. Um, and then it doesn't, doesn't really make sense to me. Like, if you guys were like, well, you now, Mike and the Joey back in the day, like when you rolled, rolled with black belts, did you try to give them that like, um, extra sense of respect in the sense of like, you're not like trying super hard and kind of let them work? Uh, well, not to talk shit, but we've have had, we have had a lot of black belts come to the club, you know, on Saturdays and stuff like that. And I remember, uh, there was one that came in and he, for lack of a better word, he just wasn't wasn't very skilled black belt and uh i could pretty much do whatever i wanted to him but i did give him the respect of like i i didn't like submit him 15 times i'm not talking shit neither and you know i think you know exactly who i'm talking about too i'm not talking shit neither but uh yeah i did give him the respect i just kind of went a little slower a little little uh easier and stuff like that and uh yeah so i did i did give him a little bit yeah yeah i i had a uh a black boat really early on who said something to me that I actually really believe in. And I still kind of tell my students is 
a lot of times when people roll with black belts, they get this, especially lower belts, the whites and blues, <laughs> it disappears a little bit at purple, but they almost get this sense of like when they're trying something they go, oh, he's a black belt. This isn't going to work anyways on him. So I'm just not going to try it. And then what ends up happening is your game becomes so offensively muted because they're just hesitant to try anything because they've convinced themselves that there's no way it works on a black belt. No way will this black belt let me get this triangle. So I'm not even going to bother trying to throw up the triangle when really the triangle was there all along. Like there was an opportunity for it. The black belt made a mistake. Maybe he's trying his B or C game. He left an opportunity and these blue belts and white belts won't go for it because they're so afraid they're, they just have this like weird, like you said, almost like a respect or a reverence of like it, there's no way it would work. So why would I try? I don't want to embarrass myself trying something that wouldn't work. And uh, the black belt that told me this kind of said, like when he trains in the room, he wants you to not have that respect because the only way for him to learn is for you to actually attack things and for him to see where the holes are and what he's doing. It, um, it kind of goes back to when we were saying like training with lower belts helps us for skill development. And we were saying like how new or how skilled I have one criteria that I need from lower belts for me to be able to develop my skills. And that's, you have to be able to punish mistakes. If you aren't good enough to punish a mistake when it's there, like let's say I have one arm in one arm out and there's an opportunity for a triangle and you can't recognize that it's not a useful round for me in my skill development because I'm making a mistake that will get punished against even competent athletes, and it's going unpunished. So I'm not learning where my deficiencies are. I need someone, and it can be like, I've got white belts in my gym who are good enough to do this, where if I screw up, you know, like I got a little white belt, he's like 140 pounds. I made a mistake the other day playing around, he barren bulleted me. I was like, what the hell? But immediately I was like, okay, I know what I did wrong. Like he, I made a mistake and it got punished. And I think a lot of people are to either it's not necessarily that they're not willing to, it's that they're too hesitant to try to punish a black belt because they convince themselves it won't work. Well, I just felt bad. I didn't want him to leave the gym with a bad experience or a bad taste in his mouth. I, I just felt bad. Yeah. But that's the nature of, of training with other people is that like, you know, it's a competitive sport and if it, you can make anyone feel bad in reality. Um, you know, like lower belts feel bad all the time getting beat up. And um, I've never really, um, yeah, cared about that in the sense of like trying to protect someone's feelings from getting beat up. Like, I just want to beat them up, like not, you know, hurt them or anything, yeah. but like, it's a competitive sport. I want to, you know, I'm going to, I want to do what I got to do because like going to like other gyms and whatnot, people often ask this question as well. Like, what if you're better than the instructor there? And that has happened to me multiple times where I went to another gym as a lower belt and just had my way with them. But like, I'm not going to hold back. Like this is jujitsu. Like it, there's no, you know, it's, it's clear. Like what's the word to use? Like there's no way of like hiding it. You, you can't like your belt is, well, I don't know what, what I'm talking about, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. So I think you just got to do what you got to do. And in the reality of jujitsu, sometimes you're going to feel bad getting beat up. It's just, you know, I don't want anyone to feel bad, but at the same time, I don't want to take away like the competitive aspect of jujitsu and trying to minimize it for, to, to due to like respect, but respect them as an individual, but try to beat them, you know, not without, not going like, balls to the walls and just trying to like crush, like do everything to just like crush them or whatever. But like, yeah, I was rolling with a black belt the other day who, um, who had taken like a good amount of time off. He's been back, but not really, uh, training super hard. And I didn't like, 
hurt him or anything or like that or or like just try to like beat the shit out of him i just went like gentle loose nice submitted him a bunch of times and um it's just the way it is you just you know if someone gets me they got me i can feel bad about it it's a competitive sport yeah i didn't so go ahead joey no, I was going to say, that's like something that like when we were saying, like using lower belts to work on our C game, like the belt doesn't really matter. Like if I go to another gym and I'm way better than an instructor, cool. I'm not just going to a game this dude to death and make him feel like shit. I'm going to pull out the B game. Like I'm still going to try to win whatever style of game I'm using. I'm going to try to win because if I'm not actively trying to do good jujitsu, which ultimately is like positional control and submission, well, why am I even training? Like if I'm not going to try and do good jujitsu, I might as well just go home. It's a waste of my night. So, you know, if you are at a gym and you're better than your instructor, don't feel bad about embarrassing him. But you also got to remember, like if you're better than him, maybe that's not the guy that you need to use the A game on. Maybe it's a B or a C game guy, regardless of what the belt differential says. Yeah. I mean, as long as you're not a try hard, like as long as you're not like just like trying as hard as you can to like beat them up then because i think that would be a little bit more disrespectful where you turn into like a competition role because you want to beat them up so bad it's like you can it, you, you should be able to still beat them with like not insane amount of efforts like obviously put effort but like if you're just going crazy then that can can kind of be like um not super nice to do especially if they're older you know if they're older then like they don't got to go crazy and yeah yeah, I think this guy's maybe four or five years older than me. But yeah, I wasn't trying to kill him or anything like that. We were just going at a good pace, but I did feel bad. I'm not going to lie. I'm well, Canadian. I feel bad for everything. It kind of reminds me of uh, the other black belt prank, uh, the one with Alex Vamos, uh, like the original one, like yeah. the one that everyone loves yeah. and uh, who everyone's copied since, including myself. That's one of my top performing videos. Well, not one of them. It is my top performing video, which is pretty awesome because I love that that video, that Alex Famos video. And I watched it so many times. I just enjoyed the shit out of it. And, um, what he said was, um, it was sometimes he was, when he was rolling, rolling with them, they would kind of like, you know, g give something up like unintentionally and then kind of, uh, make an excuse in their head of like, Oh, it's like, it's fine because I'm just letting them work. Right. So it's, you trick yourself into thinking like, you know, yeah, I let them get that, you know, but you, you you can't do that either. You can't make like excuses in your head of like, you know, of like of anything. Like you got beat up by a, a white belt who's actually a black belt in reality. You know, you got beat up by them. And, um, you know, yeah, you don't got to pretend like you, you let them work or anything like that. No, the, the letting it work thing is something you have to decide before the thing happens. Like if I'm rolling with a white belt and he gets an underhook and like, from half guard and shucks me over and takes my back. I can't retroactively go back and say, ah, I let him work. But if I get half guard and I'm like, Hey, I'm purposely trying to work back escapes today. I'm going to let this guy take my back with good technique, make sure he does it right, get my back. And then I'm going to escape. Sure. You let him work. But I think a lot of people use it after the fact, like, Oh, this bad thing happened. I was letting him work. It's all right. No, you weren't letting him work. You made a mistake. And now you're trying to pretend you didn't, which is a terrible attitude. If you want to get better, uh, the right attitude to improve is when you make a mistake, go, oh, that was a mistake. Okay, what happened? Why did that happen? Go back, fix it. Every time you say, I let that happen, or, you know, I wasn't trying super hard, or, you know, I was giving it to them, like, all you're doing is cheating yourself out of an opportunity to get better and figure out what you actually need to work on. Well, I think that is one of the biggest mistakes people make is not assessing where they go wrong enough. Like, 
that's that's where you can make the biggest amount of improvement. It's really figuring out like where you went wrong, what you did, and like the earliest moments of it. And you know, people want to get better. They think they need to like learn all these more like more techniques, but it's not necessarily learning more techniques. It's figuring out what mistakes you make and trying to and nullifying them so you don't make them again. Like literally, that's like my best uh, or that's my advice for the for improvement is just always be thinking how can i do this better and that's what i think i've been thinking a lot um especially with wrestling because i'm really trying to implement everything that joe breeza taught me like during uh, the wrestling for jiu-jitsu course when we we're filming it and i'm still not perfect at it you know like i'm trying to get perfect at it but it's a it's a process but as i'm wrestling as i'm like just standing up trying to take them down it's always going through my mind of like um you know i tried this it didn't work how do I make this work better next time? You know, I'm thinking the whole time. And usually like when I'm rolling, like on the ground, I don't really think that much because it's just kind of muscle memory. But while I'm actively trying to improve at something, I'm very much aware and thinking what I'm doing and uh, always trying to figure out how to do it better. And I think that people don't do that enough. They just, um, just think, Oh, I suck. Or I got to learn more techniques, but it's often not that case. It's, it's, it's not the case. You need to just figure out, you need to figure out how to do better. You guys have been to many gyms. I've only been to this. So you guys could tell me this. Uh, do you find that wrestling is the most skilled that is lacking in other gyms or in most gyms in general, that the wrestling part, the stand up part? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, in terms of like having a complete game. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't think everyone needs to learn wrestling. Um, I think because it's fine if you just want to roll on the ground and be and do like pure judicial only, but if you want a complete game, I would say definitely that's where people are lacking. Um, but it's a hard skill to learn. It's because it's just so fast paced. It's like you need explosivity, you need great technique, and it's just a hard one compared to when you're already good on the ground. Um, it's hard to take yourself out of that comfort zone, which a lot of athletes do in general, where they're like, just say they're, they do Muay Thai, where they don't want to put themselves in, in the in the spot where they're a beginner again, <laughs> you know, on the like on the ground. And I think it's similar to wrestling. It's like they, they don't necessarily want to, um, you know, perform poorly uh, standing because they don't have the skills, but maybe they make excuses for themselves too. Like, Oh, stand up is like dangerous. I don't do it. Or yeah, it's not important. But it, it, the importance is dependent on the individual, but um, yeah, I think it's pretty lacking. I used to make that excuse all the time, but recently we've been doing so much wrestling here lately. And uh, I finally said, no, I need to know this. If I actually do get into a fight or something like that, I need to know how to take it to the ground. I can't just sit down and go, okay, come on meet me down here. So I've been practicing starting with uh, white belts or people my size, uh, usually uh, uh, women, I'm only 145 pounds now. So the smaller people at the gym, practicing with them and working on my, you, I, you remember when I was Yuki, I'd be terrified when you'd say wrestling, I'd shell right up. Oh shit. I don't want to do this, but now, yeah, fine. It, it just, it's like exposure therapy for, for yeah. me. Now I, now I start every role standing up pretty much. Well, when I started teaching more wrestling in, in my nogi classes, I was worried that people would feel like, why are you teaching me this? I don't want to learn this. We don't, we don't really stand, start standing very often. But like what was great about it is that it really gave people confidence to even try to stand up. Because, 100%. Yeah, if you don't have the confidence, then you're just not going to do it. And But like the more we do it, the more we do it, you build up like more and more skill, more confidence. You realize kind of more what you're doing. It's less like uh, confusing to you, even though it's still hard, but it's, uh, 
yeah, that building of that confidence is key to get people to actually start standing. And it's not, uh, it's definitely the more dangerous aspect of, of grappling as a whole, just because there's more that can kind of go wrong. You're fall, like falling weight on the ground and stuff like that. But if you have good technique and a good training partner, um, the, the risk is pretty minimal. It's like, it can be more dangerous being on the ground with like a shitty training partner that doesn't care about your safety than standing up against someone that does like, you know, people can start standing with me and have confidence. They're not going to get hurt. And there's a lot of people, you know, like me and, uh, and that are just great. Uh, they watch over your safety. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, at my gym, we start every round standing, um, every round of rolling starts standing. Now, either athlete has the option to sit if you want. Uh, I will never tell people you're forced to wrestle because some people like don't feel comfortable with it. Maybe they have a bad knee or an injury and they're like, listen, I'm just going to sit. But even if that's what you want to do, learning how to sit guard in itself is a skill. How can I sit with controls, with grips? Uh, how can I get the grips I want, get the controls, the inside position as I'm sitting and not just flop to my ass and let the person on top start instantly passing. So it's a skill you have to have. If even if you don't want to wrestle, you have to learn how to pull guard correctly. But uh, also, like in terms of wrestling, like even if you don't want to wrestle on the feet, we have proven in jujitsu now, especially the last couple of years, wrestling up from the bottom is an incredibly effective way to sweep. And if you can't do that, you are at a disadvantage. I mean, like you don't have to wrestle to like hit these high amplitude standing throws, but if you're on bottom and butterfly guard, the ability to just come to your feet and take the person over, is it really easy way to sweep? It, it is actually there quite a bit, you know, um, from half guard, even like wrestling onto single legs. Like these are options. They're very valid ways to do jujitsu, not in a wrestling sense, but like it is grappling on the ground. And just because you're not standing doesn't mean these wrestling techniques can't apply and be useful. And it's a great way to build confidence too, like starting with uh, wrestle ups and becoming more confident in that. And because that can teach you more of the mechanics, like the finishing mechanics and, and entries and whatnot, because you can't just wrestle someone up just because you want to, it has to be open uh, and available. So like getting underneath their arms to, uh, to get access to their hips, is the same thing as standing. It's like if you take a shot from far out and they have a lot of time to use their, their arms to get underneath you and take inside position, then, you know, it's going to fail. So same thing with these like wrestle ups. So. Yeah, I think wrestling up, wrestle ups are great, not only for what they are, they're very useful, but again, building that confidence so you can start standing because again, it's, it's confidence that's key to make, to make you feel comfortable and actually try it out. Cause yeah, any listeners like wrestling's fun. Like I really, I really like wrestling and, um, yeah, the more you can do it, it's almost like a whole new ball game almost not in, uh, we're not always completely different, but like, we like we often start not standing and for a long time we started not standing um in our roles and then adding like uh stand up to it just makes it even more interesting it's like yeah it's so fun to me yeah yeah like i said i was terrified so go ahead joy no i like it uh it, and it also changes the dynamic i mean when gyms don't start standing you typically you're going to start in like a an open guard scenario, right? Like, you know, we slap bump. One person's going to play guard. One person's not going to play guard. But when you introduce wrestling in, like, you know, our gym's lucky. We've got a couple guys who are actually, like, pretty good wrestlers. Um, you might not get to start that round in guard. Like, when he takes you down, you might end up right yeah. in side control. And now, shit, like, I'm in a position I didn't really want to be in. I'm starting from a bad spot. Like, you're not getting that 
I'm going to start every round picture perfect in the open guard with whatever controls I want. Like the adding the wrestling does throw a bit of variety and in a good way, a little bit of chaos into it. Yeah. And you know, for me, I don't know about you, Joey, but I like wrestling like no gi. Obviously wrestling is no gi, but like, I don't like starting standing with the gi on. I just, because I find it so hard. I just suck at judo. Like I just, the like, re, like, uh, gi grips can really stall offense and make it where you're trying to get offense going, but they're just so defensive in their grips. And you're just like, shit, like, I just want to, I just want to take you down. And the, like, cause that can happen a lot in even in no gi too, uh, for wrestling where you're like trying to take someone down and their only objective is to not get taken down. And that's freaking makes it hard to take them down and it makes it boring. Like I, I, sometimes I wrestle this one guy um, who has, he's great defensively, but he never shoots for his own takedowns. And it's just like, I'm trying to get in on you and you're just trying not to let that happen. And same thing with my daughter. She was like saying that again uh, with her wrestling sometimes. Uh, yeah. It's the same kind of thing. Sometimes people just don't engage the whole time. And that's just a very, um, it's hard to take someone down that their only objective is not to get taken down where that happens less on the ground, but it still does happen. Well, the argument that if you train in the gi, it'll make you better at no gi. Wouldn't that apply for the wrestling as well? If you wrestle in the gi, would it make you better at wrestling in no gi? Because if you can take somebody down and they have that amount of grips on you, you can definitely do it in no gi easier. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think there's, there's merit in that, but I also think that it is very different. Um, I think more so than on the ground. I think that Gi and no gi on the ground are more similar than like wrestling is like standing compared to like judo with the gi. Because again, these grips can just make such a big difference. Like you see all the time people have the collar and sleeve on each other, these 50 50 grips, and nothing happens. And it's just a really frustrating thing to watch in a tournament. Um, and they're trying to take each other down, trying to do like Uchimadas, no, Osotogaris or, or whatever it is. And they're just, you can't get it when they, when they have these defensive grips. And, um, it can be hard to break these grips because the geese a good, um, like, you know, it's a good thing to hold on to and it just makes it kind of boring. And, but I, I'm, I'm like biased too, cause I just love no gi these days. I don't really love gi as much. I still, I still love gi, but well, I still like gi, but I really love no gi. I flip flop back and forth all the time. I'll love no gi for two months and hate gi. I don't even want to show up. And then uh, the abs absolute opposite the next couple months. Yeah, one thing I noticed, Joey, is that for a new school, especially, you have a lot of competitors, and which is awesome to see. And I think one reason is is because you're leading the charge, like you're competing all the time and doing very well too, which encourages people to get out there too. And it's a very similar thing where you going out there kind of gives them confidence um, to do the same and, and to think, oh, I can do this too, and just motivates the whole team. So I think that's really great. And uh, was that your expectation when you started the gym that it would be very much like uh, a competition like type of gym? Uh, not really. I mean, I always knew like I like competing for me. It's super important. So I wanted to do it. But for me, it wasn't like I'm going to start this gym and we're going to be four competitors. Like it's going to be a competitor gym. Um, it just kind of happened organically. Like we got a lot of people who had that mindset where they wanted to do it. And especially like I'm competing, I competed last weekend. I'm competing tomorrow. Uh, I'm competing the weekend after I have like actually five straight weekends in a row where I'm competing. And wow. you know, it's, 
not all of it's fun. Like some of these tournaments I'm doing like open weight divisions. Cause there's no one in my weight class or like doing 185 Cause that's the only person registered at black belt. So I'm like, whatever, I'll, I'll just do it. But, uh, because I think because I'm doing it, a lot of people are like, Oh, you know, we'll do it too. We'll hop in. And like, uh, this last tournament we had, I want to say nine people compete. Uh, one of them had to pull out, but I think we ended up with like eight or something competing, which for a gym of 40 people is like, you know, a decent chunk of my gym. We actually ended up coming fifth as a team out of 29 at this, uh, local tournament, which, you know, some of these gyms that we're beating have been open for like eight, nine years and we're doing just as well. So it's kind of cool to see. Um, you know, I've got, I could talk all day about how proud I am of some of my students, but like, uh, we had one white belt girl. I got to tell this cause, uh, I know her husband listens to this and he'll hear it and laugh, but, uh, she signed up at white belt 135 and she's been training since we opened. So about five months and there were no white belt girls who signed up for this tournament. Uh, none. So they put her in blue belt 145. So up a belt and up a weight class. Uh, and man, she went out there and she actually looked pretty good. I mean, she didn't win, but like she was going to points with these blue belt heavier girls. Like she looked good out there. And it's, I think it's just like when people, other people in the gym see that they're like, man, like our white belts are competing in a blue belt division and doing well. They're like, I want to get out there now. Like I want to see how I can do against like my belt. And it was really, it was really cool to see a lot of the people who came to watch the tournament too. I think like you're right. When they see a lot of people competing, you get more likely to do it because there's more team support. Yeah. When, when we, when we first opened limitless, I was still like very, uh, com- like competing all the time. And that's when we had the most competitors because I think they just kind of, um, yeah, just we're kind of inspired by that. And it, going back to her beating the blue belts, that's like what Nikki did too. one tournament. Like, uh, they put her in the blue belt division, or I guess it was just by experience. She had, ju- she had just over a year experience, like, uh, maybe like a year and a month. And then she went up against, uh, blue belts and she beat them. And then they found out she was a white belt and then, you know, they felt bad, you know, they felt, felt bad getting beat up by white belt, but Nikki felt great. Um, obviously, but you know, that's just, it brings us back to the earlier point where if your feelings may get hurt in jiu-jitsu and there's nothing we can do. We don't need to hide that and shelter it. Like the mats prove it all. You see, if your white belt can be blue belts, um, that's great for you. Kind of feel sucks for them. But just the way she goes and same with like these black belts, um, you know, you don't need to have like ultra amount of respect in the sense of obviously respect them as an individual, but not like where you're scared to even try anything like the mats don't lie. And um, if you're going to hurt their feelings, I don't want anyone's feelings to hurt. But, you know, I want to keep the competitive aspect of jujitsu alive. Never try to like do never make it like McDojo, you know, like, yeah, it, the skills prove themselves. How yeah, did you I mean, do on the weekend, Joey? Uh, I won, I didn't have anyone in my weight class for gi or no gi. So all I got to do was the two absolutes, which kind of sucked in a way, because if I had had even one weight class for gi or no gi, uh, just even one opponent. So like, even if it was a default silver, our team would have come fourth instead of fifth. So I was a little sad, you know, the opportunity to move us into metal, but I won the no gi absolute and I came second in the gi absolute. So how'd you beat that big dude like there's a huge dude there's a picture uh, if anyone wants to see it um i think on your instagram or limitless edmonton's uh, yeah i think it's on the 
He's a jack dude. Yeah, yeah, he was like two sixty. He, I had at least he was enormous. One of the most muscle bound humans I've ever seen in my life. But uh, I ended up getting him with a Mikey lock. Uh, I felt bad. Like I put the Mikey lock on and I had like the grip and I kind of pulled a little and it gave like two little pops, like not bad ones, like two little, like quick, like pop pop. And I held it for like what felt like in the moment. It's hard to tell, but it felt like in the moment, like three or four seconds being like, okay, is this guy going to tap? Like it popped. He didn't tap. So I, yanked on it about as hard as physically possible and uh <laughs> it, it made a lot more noises after that uh, i felt bad like it definitely like it fucked his foot up or his knee or something in there but like this is like guys when you're in a tournament man if something pops start tapping because yeah. it can get real bad but uh yeah i don't uh the grappling industries does their nogi absolutes is like mixed belts so i don't think he was a black but i think he was like a blue belt or something but sucks yeah. for you man you signed up for the division so yeah yeah he's huge for sure like is that what your game plan uh would normally be against a big dude is to attack the legs like what would your game plan be to like pull guard and start working for the legs because obviously a big dude like that like the chance of taking him down is very hard yeah i mean i think my chances of like out wrestling him were probably pretty close to zero uh and I was like, I don't really want to play like a traditional like closed guard or something underneath or like a half guard where I can get smashed. Like I'm pretty good at half guard at not getting smashed, but it's one of those things where you're like, is it really a chance I want to take when someone's significantly bigger and stronger? And then, you know, like, okay, well, if I don't think I can wrestle him and I don't really want to play like a traditional style of half guard, I was like, if I can at least just like pull and enter onto the legs at the very least I can maybe create a scramble where I can come up on top and then I'm on top, which is like, if I'm going to be anywhere, I'd rather be on top or I'll get the leg. And in this case, I, I got the leg. So made my life a little bit easier. Yeah. That's one advantage of, of uh, leg locks is that it, if they don't work out often, you can use them just to get up on top with, so it can be hard to sweep a really big dude. Like, you know, butterfly sweeps or whatever it is from close guards even harder but like using leg locks to set up sweeps is a or set up it's not really setting up a sweep it's just using it to get on top it can be such a great option i uh i rolled with this 300 pound dude uh, like two weeks ago and it's going to be a rolling commentary uh, out this weekend and he's been training 15 years um and but he's like a white belt because he never got graded but he's been training a sambo uh, Greco-Roman wrestling, MMA, and jiu-jitsu itself, but only Nogi for, for 15 years. And he's really good. Like, um, yeah, very good. And his white belt, his white belt doesn't necessarily reflect his skill, but I was trying to like, I started standing with him because I wanted the challenge, but man, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know like, how am I going to take this guy down? He's, he's, you know, he, he was like, a like a bronze medalist at the Greco-Roman nationals in Canada. And we don't have like, you know, amazing wrestling. So like, it's not the same achievement as doing something like that in the U S but it's still, you know, significant. I'm not taking away anything away from him or saying that in a negative way, but he's definitely a good wrestler. And, um, but it's puzzling to me how he doesn't get graded only because he only does no gi. So, his predicament right now doing the Ontario open, does he do it at white belts or does he do it at, um, you know, blue belts or what belt does he do it at? Because they don't, they're not grading him because he doesn't do gi. I told him like, 
at least blue belt, you know, but like to me, he's minimal, like minimum, he's purple belt skill, but I think even higher, but how do you like, how's that fair to like go against white belts? He doesn't want to do that, but you know, what's, what's the solution there? Well, I think in Nogi, uh, tournaments should have a belt category, but it should also come with a, a time like frame too, because there are people like that. Like you said, you train at schools that <laughs> like, uh, you know, I don't necessarily agree with everything they do, but at least 10th planet, like they're only no gi, but they do still run through some sort of belt system for this purpose. And there are people like this fellow you're mentioning who do kind of slip through those cracks. You know, they only do no gi, they do other martial arts too. So maybe they're not spending all of their time doing jujitsu. They don't get promoted. And, you know, you get a guy who end up, ends up training 10 years and you're like, well, do I put him in a white belt division? He's not a white belt by any like there's no metric in which you could call him a white belt in skill so i think like uh i know the adcc open they do it goes by your belt rank or if you don't have a formal belt rank it goes by years of experience mm. and i think that's kind of a decent way to do it it makes the most sense because there are a lot of gyms that won't promote you if you don't do gi and knowing that like these tournaments, knowing that it doesn't make any sense to divide them by belts because people do get screwed that way. Like, I feel so bad for a white belt going up against this guy. Like it would not be like even close to fair, but then it's like, if he signs up as a blue belt or something like or different, uh, higher than that, is he like pissing off his gym? Like saying like, um, I know better than you do almost like, but they just refuse to promote him. Well, I'm not saying they refuse to promote him because I don't know his exact circumstance. All I'm saying is that they haven't promoted him because he doesn't do gi. But yeah, I think that's kind of weird. 12 um, years, 15 years, did you say? Yeah, 15 years. Yeah, 15 years. Yeah, you're not a white belt. You're not a fucking white belt after that. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't give a shit who, who the gym owner is. You're not a fucking white belt. You should be promoted to something. And it's crazy. Yeah, and he's really good too. And he's very explosive because he wasn't 300 pounds when he um, you know, was fighting MMA back in the day and and wrestling too he's you know he's a big dude now but he gained all his skills when he was smaller and um i think that's like an amazing um i don't know like way to create a big a big athlete because a lot of these bigger athletes that are about 300 pounds they never get like super technical because they rely on their strength and uh their size advantage but someone who learns and gets good at grappling as a smaller athlete and then they you know be, they become 300 pounds they're like a force to be reckoned with like he took me down with a double leg that was so fast it's like holy shit like never seen someone 300 pounds move that fast or have such great technique it was it was really cool to see when's that coming out um i think i think sunday maybe today though i'm not sure yeah because what's cool too is um i'm trying to lighten my workload so my employee Feja, who's who's the man, he's awesome. He uh, he's gotten better, better at editing, and he always cuts up my audio for me. And uh, I asked him like, maybe you could take a uh, crack at like doing a rolling commentary yourself. So like, I wrote it out, and then I did the script, and I sent him the footage, and then he made the rolling commentary, which is the first time I've ever done that, and it turned out really good. So like, um, I'm gonna do that in the future. So thank you, Feja. Like, really lightens my workload because it can take me like a day, a day and a half to just edit it and put it all together. And there's not enough time in the day to do all the things I want to do. So, um, yeah, I hope people will like it and not be able to notice the difference between me doing it and him doing it. Um, so I think he did a great job. Well, yeah. the, uh, one interesting question about that though, that I want to ask, uh, would you promote a student who only did Nogi? 
Like if you yeah. had a student who showed up to just no gi classes for years and they clearly had the skill, how would you do it? Would you give them a belt? Yeah, I would. Yeah. And I've done it before. I, I see no problem in that. Like, even though it does seem a little bit weird, like tying the belts around their no gi uh, attire, it, it definitely feels a little bit weird, but not in a bad way. It's good to go. Like the belts are for a reason. They're supposed to represent skill and I don't see why it matters if it's gi or no gi. It still represents skill. So I don't, I don't like buy into that mindset that others have. You have to be like so pure to the sport. You only be able to promote people in the gi. I just think, you know, that's just like screwing everyone, screwing the other competitors, screwing that person. And uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. I completely what do you agree think, with though? you there. Yeah. I completely yeah. agree. Like, I agree. I would just tie a belt around someone. I mean, it's, if it's, what we're going to say it is, and it's a representation of skill, then what does it matter what I'm wearing other than it? And if it's not just a representation of skill, then it doesn't matter. So. Yeah. It almost like, uh, makes the belts mean less almost because it's supposed to be a representation of skill. And then now you, you're not going to get a belt that represents your skill because you don't wear pajamas to, to roll, you know, this doesn't make sense. But, um, yeah, I've got a, an important like kind of business meeting, I guess, at uh, coming up at two o'clock. So we got to cut this one just a tiny bit short. I'm really excited about that. I'll tell you about it, Joey, um, sometime or definitely off air until it's uh, official. But uh, something very exciting, and um, so that's it. So thank you guys for listening to the podcast. I'm really tired today, so if I sounded tired. Um, I am tired. So yeah, just one of those days. So thank you for sticking around to the end of the podcast. If you're still here. Please leave a comment or fist bump and we'll see you guys next time.